You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is July 17th, and today, Atlanta United played Orlando to a 1-1 draw at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. To wrap up what I think is a disappointing homestand for the team because it only earned four points out of a possible nine from the three games, the positive for the team is, as Gonzalo Pineda said in his post-game press conference today, they are now playing as a team. The 3-0 loss to Austin, which was the first game in this homestand, he thinks may end up being the best thing for the squad because the past two games, he's really liked how they played as a team. They've worked as a team. They've fought as a team. They should have beaten Orlando, and we're going to get into the stats of that in just a minute. But right now, they trail Columbus by three points for seventh in the standings. Columbus and Cincinnati are playing right now in the Hell is Real Derby. Uh, so it could end up being just two points behind Columbus, which all things considered is probably not a bad thing considering all the injuries the team's had, all the troubles that it's had, etc. So let's get into some of the stats here really quickly. Orlando City took a 1-0 lead on a goal by Pereira in the 10th minute. And we're going to get into some of the goofiness about that goal when we listen to audio and in your questions. And then Atlanta United fought back on Juan Jose Parata's first goal for the team. It was a header off a free kick by Almada. It was his sixth assist this season and Parata's first goal. It was a, a kind of a weird play because I think Orlando's defenders thought that goalkeeper Pedro Galiz was going to come out and grab the ball, and he didn't come out. And Parada just continued his run unabated and put a nice header down and into the goal. And then Atlanta United had a couple of other chances. Dom Dwyer hit a vicious shot that was aiming for the left corner, but Pedro Galiz was able to dive and I think get a right hand on it. Joseph Martinez hit the bar after being played through. But then Orlando also hit the bar and got lucky that Rocco Rios Novo was able to bounce on a deflection that went off him first. Then I think George Campbell's face, and he grabbed the ball before it went over the line. So looking at the overall stats, Atlanta United with 18 shots but put just four on goal. Orlando with just three shots, one on goal, which is just Atlanta United season in a nutshell right there. Uh, Atlanta United with 157 passes in the final third to Orlando's 74. 
Atlanta United with 21 crosses, excluding corners, which is eight more than it attempted against Real Salt Lake. Atlanta United only fouled eight times to Orlando's 12, but somehow there were three yellow cards for Atlanta United to four for Orlando. So let's get into some of the audio here. And we're going to go into Pineda talking about the formation, the three center backs compared to the two. And does the team have a renewed sense of purpose? Yeah. yeah I mean, we all can see things differently. Uh, I think that that loss against uh, Austin was a good wake-up call that had to happen. And actually, I'm kind of happy that it happened because it solved a lot of internal things within the team. And I feel like the last two games we've been playing as a team. We finally came back to play, fight, compete, play good football, but everything as a team. So uh, I actually am happy about what happened against Austin because I feel like that's going to be the decisive point of the season where we are going to just come back very strong. Um, uh, I don't know what you guys think about the game, but I felt that we were very dominant. Not the first half. It was a tough first half. But we were always on the front foot, always moving the ball, always willing to create chances, always the team that really wanted to attack. And because of that, we make Orlando to be tired, give spaces, and then at the end, we were very dominant. So I'm very proud of that with my team. So the way we finish this week, I think is very popular positive for what we want to achieve in the future. So Aiden McFadden was asked about that. If the team is back and does it have that feeling? And here's what he had to say. Um, yeah, I think that we feel good about our performance, but we want to win. So there were definitely chances that we could have could have finished that game off and we wanted to, but it, it was a good team performance and it's something to build on for sure. So that's what we'll, we'll kind of go for. And then I followed up by asking him get Fadden if he thinks the team has discovered a formation and an energy that perhaps wasn't there earlier in the season. Well, we definitely played with formation. Uh, we played a five back against Red Bulls as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have some experience with it. Um, as far as energy, I mean, I think this group's fantastic. Um, I think maybe there were some performances in there that we weren't really thrilled with. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's a good group, a lot of talent. And it's just putting that together and getting some results. McFadden is playing really, really well, in my opinion, as a right wing back. Don't forget that until he signed with Atlanta United as a draft pick uh, in 2021, he did not play fullback or wingback. He's learned on the job at Atlanta United too, and now he's learning on the job with Atlanta United. But you can see his ball skills from his time as an attacking player. There was a moment in the first half, he split two players with a spin inside and was able to play in, um, I can't remember who he's at, but he was able to play in somebody. Um, and that's just, that's good work by McFadden. Um, so now turning to the goal, and the next two clips are from Pineda talking about if he got an explanation from Victor Rivas, the referee, about what was happening during the buildup to Orlando's goal. Well, uh, I don't want this to sound as a complaint as the referees because – we are not allowed by the MLS rules. So what I saw and what we check on the film is that Rocco Rios now has permission to check the wall and the referee, if you check the video, he gives the thumbs up and then when he's on the post, he whistles. So I don't know what to think about it. Um, 
obviously the referee is always correct. They are the best, and we just have to move on and continue playing. And then so I followed up by asking him if Rios Novo was giving a ready-to-roll thumbs up. Yeah, which, which is very weird when you are in the post. I don't think any goalkeeper is ready in that position. So, uh, But I'm sure the referee has a very good reason to do that. As Atlanta United was searching for that tying goal, Pineda put on pretty much all the attacking players he had, including Dom Dwyer, who I mentioned earlier had that vicious left-footed shot. He was asked about playing with Joseph Martinez as two strikers at the top of the formation. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, we have a lot of chemistry, um, and I think that, that it can show in, in the minutes. We haven't had many minutes together yet, um, but we've, we've been building that for the whole year. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can get more of that in the future, but I think the, the team is heading in the right direction. All right, we're going to go to a break and come back with your questions. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. And if I said that too fast, it's included and what I call the boilerplate below every one of my stories online. So it's easy to find. Going to your questions. Matt asks, and this is one of the more interesting conversational points about Atlanta United. Matt says, I listened to the press, to the press conference after the game. Here's what I don't understand. You've probably covered this before, but I'll ask anyway. And Marcelino Moreno, I see a slow player who tends to kick the ball to the other team. He is also pretty good at losing possession by dribbling too long. He is very predictable. Why does he get a lot of minutes? I don't see him making things happen out there. So I've made my opinion on Marcelino Moreno, I think, very clear in the past. I think he's a good player who could be a really good player if he would stop dribbling a little bit and start passing a little bit more. Today, he set a franchise record with 20 duels won, which included six fouls won. That's a part of the stat. And a few other things. But... When you look at the final stats, he created just one chance. He didn't put a shot on goal. And when you're a team that's trying to get points, you have to have players that are going to create chances because that's what Pineda says he wants to see. And you got to have shots on goal. It's, it's that simple. 
There were a few times today that Moreno, and I'm not faulting his work ethic, and I think, again, he was great on defense. It's the decision-making in the final third. That's, to me, the problem. He led the team in completed passes in the final third, but there were a couple of times when he would beat one guy, try to take on a second guy, try to take on a third guy, try to take on even a fourth guy. And Luis Arahujo was doing the same thing on the other side. Pineda talked about he likes to see Moreno kind of beat one guy, try to make things happen, and I agree. But if you beat one guy, that means somebody is open. Get your head up. Find that guy. It's just, it's it's a little bit, it's maddening, to be honest with you. Um, because as I said, he's a good player. He could be a really good player with just better decision-making. He had he led the team with 102 touches with one chance created. That is not good enough. Arahujo, fifth on the team, 72 touches created. Two chances created, one shot on goal. It's not good enough. Playing as a team means finding your teammates. It doesn't mean getting a head full of steam and running at the opponent just because you think you can. All right. Ben says, Ronaldo Cisneros was pretty ineffective today. I think the talk of the -the off-the-ball movement on Wednesday was highly overblown by many members of the media since the team was facing Real Salt Lake's two backup center backs. Outside of a couple instances against RSL and none today, Cisneros' movement was not able to unlock any space. Cisneros has had some great moments, but hasn't proven that he can be that guy against high-quality back lines. I think Joseph was much more effective today. Who do you think starts against the Galaxy next week? So let's let's add some context to your comments, Ben. First, Cisneros scored two goals last week. So he had the hot foot. That's why he started today. His movement didn't unlock Orlando's defense, in my opinion, because Orlando got a 1-0 lead in the 10th minute and therefore could bunker, play low lines, congested lines, and Cisneros, it didn't matter what movement he made, there wasn't going to be a whole lot happening. That's why Atlanta United, I think, put in so many crosses in the first half. Now, Joseph did come in and was effective, but at that point, Orlando was tired it had subbed out midfielders, I think, to that point, but no center backs or fullbacks. The game was getting stretched. Atlanta United was doing a much better job of moving the ball side to side, putting it in pockets, bringing it back out, moving it again. And when you do that, as Pineda said in one of his comments after the game, you stretch the defense. They don't know which way you're going to go. They don't know what you're going to do. And then when you keep switching sides, eventually gaps are created. And Joseph was able to take advantage of some of those gaps. And he's very good at that. As for who starts against the Galaxy, it's going to depend, I think, upon if Pineda thinks the Galaxy are going to play a high line or if they're going to play a low line. They're on the road. I think they're going to play a high line. In that case, I think Cisneros is going to start again. Adam says, four points from nine is a poor mark for three home games. I agree with you. However, one could also say four points from six is a good rebound from the disaster of last weekend, especially since Atlanta fought back to not lose after going behind against Orlando. I ain't thrilled, but I have reason to stay hopeful. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Joseph clearly had good touches during appearance, during his appearance, including some quality shots. However, still he did still have plenty of moments where he walked around. Does it not upset teammates when he's not pressuring opposing ball handlers? Because given the level of hustle asked for and received by Atlanta this week, it really bothered me to see him do so much walking. I don't know if it bothers him. Um, his teammates. He didn't really need to conserve energy because he came in in the second half, so you may have a point there. 
You noted after Wednesday that this new formation created personnel decisions, especially concerning Arahujo. After today's display, who should normally be in the attack and the midfield with this formation? I think they really missed Tiago Almada. He was not feeling well, which is why he didn't start. He's got to be in the lineup. He is the one that doesn't really worry about out-dribbling opponents. He looks for that pass. He might out-dribble one guy, but then he does make the pass. He and Sadich work really well together, too. As for the other attacking player, it's a toss-up between Moreno and Arahujo. It's whoever Pineda is going to think works best. And then Adam continues, is it me or have a lot of Atlanta players struggled with their first touch this season? I lost track of the time Suzetu, Moreno, Arahujo, or others lost a chance to quickly move forward because their initial touch went several feet away from them. I did notice that about Arahujo today. I didn't notice it about the other two, but it has been a little bit of an issue this year, um, and I don't know why. And Adam continues, as always, thanks and keep that chin up. I am doing great, Adam. I really am. Thank you all, and owe a lot of it to you all's support during the past eight months, and I will never be able to repay you, but should you see me out, say hello, and if you have time, let's get a beer or a soft drink or whatever you're preferred libation is. Noah says, you say this is a platform for us fans and you've addressed political concerns for us. So I hope you will address this very normal question. Well, of course I can, Noah. The first half and quite literally the next 30 minutes of the second half were abysmal. How can you, the media, or any logical fan defend Pineda and his game plans? You said a couple of games ago, you don't fire the coach, yet it took us 75 minutes to invade their defense with a hundred plus million dollar roster. It's zero excuse for Pineda or this disappointment of a team. So what do you say about this? Will you defend Pineda or put some blame on him? I'll do both. I will point out that until four games ago, he didn't have Martinez, Almada, Araujo, and Moreno to put on the field at the same time. It's going to take some time to figure out how to make them all work together. And in this formation, it may not be possible with five center backs. One of those guys has to sit. It it just doesn't work otherwise. Do I think that he's been outcoached in a few games this season? Yes, I do. I will also point out that this is his first full season as a head coach. The roster has been hit by 20 injuries that have cost players multiple games. He's making do with a back line that before the season – included one, maybe two guys who you thought would be in the starting lineup. He's figuring this out as he goes. Right now, you're within two to three points of the playoff line, so I think he's done a good job. Should he have addressed some of these little things that he talked about after the Austin match that needed to be addressed? Yes, he probably did, and I'm sure he's going to learn from that, and hopefully he'll apply it going forward. And Noah says, side note, this is not an attack on you because I love your fair and unbiased reporting. It's more so a generalization about media and fans never blaming the coach. Well, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think DeBoer and Heinze were blistered pretty consistently by Atlanta United supporters. Christian asks, it's always a treat to see you after games. I think I know who you are now, and I appreciate you talking to me. And if you ever see me out and about again, my offer stands for beers or coffee or whatever. Two questions and a half question. The team has looked much better. Is this level of play and intensity? Oh, is this level of play and intensity sustainable with this group? I think so. I mean, Pineda now knows that because of all these injuries, he could put pretty much anybody on this roster out on the field 
and get a performance. So I think it is. On the broadcast, they try to suggest that Joseph did not start due to his comments after the Austin game. Is there anything to that? Pineda denied it on Wednesday after Real Salt Lake. Are there any behind-the-scenes tension between Joseph and Pineda? I don't think there's tension between Joseph and Pineda. I think there's been tension between Joseph and the front office for a long, long time. Um, but, you know, that's not uncommon in professional sports. They're pros. They have egos. Front office guys have egos. But they do all want to win, as Pineda said, after the Real Salt Lake game. Sometimes it doesn't include that player. Sometimes it includes tactics that maybe the front office doesn't like. But they're all trying to win. And Christian continues, keep up the great coverage. And I hope to have a cup of coffee with you one day. Let's have two cups of coffee, Christian. Rob says, I know you're wanting to downplay the Pineda-Martinez dynamic. It's not that I want to. It's that I believe that. But with ESPN quoting Pineda as calling Joseph just another player yesterday, something seems amiss. So I didn't hear the comment. I don't know the context. He could have just been saying, I have to treat everyone like just another player. As with Joseph, so I really can't address that. Could you elaborate on why you find Cisneros to be in better form than Martinez? Because he scored two goals against Salt Lake on Wednesday. Joseph had five goals in six games across all competitions prior to his benching. Again, Cisneros had two goals against Salt Lake. He had the hot foot. You put him in. Joseph had started the three previous games. He's got a knee that's still regaining strength. I don't blame Pineda for not starting him against Real Salt Lake. Smart Descent asks, I'm at the stadium now, and it's maybe a third full. Brutal to have three home games in nine days. Any idea how that came about or if the team has any input? The team works with MLS to a degree on venue dates and other things like that. A three-game homestand is always a good thing, especially after a long three-game road trip and then buffeted by two road games upcoming. Um, So that's just kind of how it is. Nick says, I'm having a hard time getting past us not finding the winning goal. $50 million of attacking talent and five attackers on the field, and we only got one assist with one goal. That just can't be good enough, can it? Well, they did get the tying goal. They did hit the post. It took a fantastic save from Pedro Galiz to stop Dom Dwyer's shot. Um, The other team's trying to win, too. It's that simple. Wolverich or Wolverick says, we're at the match, and for your pod, we want to understand what happened there on the first goal. How much time does he have to set up the D? Again, it was a, I think, a miscommunication between Rios Novo and Victor Rivas, the referee. Um, We always listen and subscribe. Well, thanks, man. And tell your friends to subscribe. And then last question is from Chance. Glad we could come back to tie it up, but how do we feel about all those great opportunities that we couldn't just put in the net? I think I would be happy that you had so many great opportunities and eventually the probabilities are going to swing in your favor. That last half an hour, we finally seem to be connecting in the back, but what could have been? Are we upset that Martinez couldn't finish those chances or are we happy he was able to create those chances to begin with? Always appreciate your takes. He's paid to score goals. Cisneros has paid to score goals. They did their best. They had chances to score goals. Dom Dwyer, same thing. Sometimes you just get bad luck. But eventually, as I said earlier, the probabilities will swing in your favor. That you're creating these chances is a lot better than the beginning of the season when you weren't creating the chances. Now they just got to start going in. 
All right. We're going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Doug Robertson at Doug Robertson AJC on Twitter and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones, and y'all take care. AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.